all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? No! no. <laughs> I'm caffeinated Rachel. <laughs> I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. You can follow us Insta, X, Facebook, TikTok, Twitch, Blue Sky, Threads, at All Bad Things Pod, emails allbadthingspod at gmail.com, join our Facebook discussion group, our subreddit, and our Discord. Do all of those things. Yes. We don't usually consume caffeine. Had a Eskazoo iced hot chocolate, which you will hear more about next week. Because <laughs> we are recording out of order. And I won't do the you're out of order thing again, because you'll hear that next week as well. <laughs> but you are having a Guinness now. I am having an N.A. Guinness. An N.A. Guinness. Yes, uh, a zero uh, percenter. A Naginness. Naginness. <laughs> um, I actually... If you enjoy the taste of like a stout, like a Guinness, yeah, I I'm think sure it the holds flavor up. is probably the same. I think it really part. holds up, but prefer not to have the alcohol content of it. There's not a lot of alcohol. It kind of tastes the same. The Guinnesses aren't very. A Guinness strong. is like three point eight or four point two, like 4. something point like that. Something, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They're made to. They're literally made to be. To go with something else, to be with, to go with what you're eating. Like if you're eating like a, I love a Guinness and a burger. Sure, yeah. Obviously, a fakey burger for me, but <laughs> well, now you can have a fake Guinness with a fake burger. There you go. <laughs> and, and, ha- I... and have it be real. <laughs> well, I can also watch the Real Housewives, and just everything wow. is fake all at once. Yes. <laughs> We're gonna get through this topic really fast. Oh yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, we just recorded next week's episode, so we're on a double header today. Um, I did give you a hint about this week's topic and why I wanted it to be this week's topic. Do you remember? I don't. I said it kind of is related to the Super Bowl. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I honestly have no idea. Okay. It, we will also kind of discuss something that's relevant today. What is happening today in football as we record? The Pro Bowl is today. Mm-hmm. That's right. Can you tell me what a little bit more about the Pro Bowl? What do they do in the Pro Bowl? They do a uh, skills competition. Okay. Is that what we're talking about? And and what else do they do? Isn't there a regular game that they play? Not they... anymore. They do a flag football game now. Do they now? Oh. Well, is that forgetting to flag football? Well, I'm going to do the intro. Okay. And then I'm going to say what the... I think you're going to be able to guess what it is by the end, but... For as long as humans have been suffering head injuries, which presumably is for as long as we have existed as a species, the consequences of repeated head injuries, both major and minor in scope, have remained largely unknown until more recent years. This is the story of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is why there's a flag football play, game being played today. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, here's the main reason why. Um, guys don't want to get injured, and guys don't want to take those hits anymore. Well, and especially in a game that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the game still does. It still has a financial tie to it, oh, well, which it, which it always paid, has. paid for it? Okay. The winner gets paid more, though. 
Oh, okay. So, so there is a financial incentive involved. Yes. Okay. So, okay. but the, but they used to play full like uh full one contact, of the yeah. one of the ESPN commentators who's who was a former player said like he got a dislocated shoulder during yeah. a Pro Bowl, but he's like but he's like he's like most people the first half kind of dicking around having yeah. fun, third quarter it starts to get more serious. He's like fourth quarter. You're either, this is 30 years ago. Right. He's like, you're either going home with $10,000 or $25,000. Right. He's like, so that's when guys would start to play. Yeah. It was, it was like in the fourth quarter. Like, yeah. Yeah, we want that extra fifteen grand because yeah. they all needed it. Not mm-hmm. not all of them, but mm-hmm. hey, it's an extra fifteen grand. Yeah. Back yeah. then, so the, uh, the amounts are different today. Yes. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, and I've been to a Pro Bowl. You have, yeah. Back in Miami, so. I have been to an NHL All-Star game. Oh, okay. When it mm-hmm. was here. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, primary sources for this episode include a brief overview of telepathy, causes, consequences, and therapeutic strategies by Miranda E. Orr et al., the Atlantic, the Cleveland Clinic, the Concussion Legacy Foundation, the CTE Society, El Camino Health, Johns Hopkins Medicine, Punch Drunk Slug Nuts, Violence in the Vernacular History of Disease by Stephen T. Casper, Reader's Digest Canada, Mm. the University of Virginia, and Wikipedia. So this this first section, I'm calling something my, calling it something my dad always used to say, Dane Bramage. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a pretty consequential topic. Because, as I said, this is something that has happened to the human species for as long as we've been around, which is many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Though our pre-Homo sapiens ancestors have been around a whole lot longer than that, they probably had similar issues. In fact, animals in general can have this issue. Basically, if you have a head with a brain inside of it, you run the risk of getting hit in it. And if you run the risk of injuring it, you run the risk of injuring it more than once. Yeah. So the first thing I realized when researching CTE is that there are a great many ways and degrees to which the human head can be injured with varying degrees of severity and varying results. So let's talk head injuries. They're kind of terrifying. (laughs) Um, So the main problem with a blow to the head, and that can be whether the head hits something or something hits the head, right? Mm -hmm. It works both ways or simultaneous. Um, The problem is what's happening inside a lot of the time, right? Obviously, if your skull cracks open, you've got a problem too. We're just talking closed head injuries specifically today. So, of course, inside your skull is your brain. An incredibly vital organ to the body, to put it incredibly mildly. I would say the vital organ. It's 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 up there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously you need other pieces too, but right, none of it all comes together without. None of it works without the brain, right? Mm-hmm. The brain's regulating all the other organs, so for sure. Um, on average, a human adult's brain weighs around three pounds. And is comprised of about 60% fat. So I guess we're all fat heads anyway. Mm. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Anyway, <laughs> I cracked myself up. You're talking about the things that you could put on the walls, the, the fat heads? Do you remember those? No, I just always thought it was an insult to call someone a fat head. Oh. No, what what are you talking about? I've no, never heard was, of this. There was a no, there was like it was like a stick-on that you could put on your wall, but that was that's what it was called, a fat head. 
That was the name of the company. What What was it that you were sticking onto your wall? Like uh, anything, like the your favorite team, like your favorite logos, things like that. Oh, okay. Know? Like a brand? Yeah. Oh, no, I'd never heard of that. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, I'm, I was thinking of like an insult. Oh, you fat head, you know? It could be both, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, and the remaining 40% of the brain is mostly made up of water, proteins, carbohydrate, and salt. There are th- and it's very tasty as Ray Liotta. Oh, jeez. Unfortunately, find out. Of his own brain in Hannibal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of the most fucked up scenes like, really ever in a movie. Up. It is really fucked up. Yeah. Thanks, Ridley Scott. Yeah. Um, there are three major parts of the brain. Do you know what they are? I would not have been able to name them. Is it like the hippocampus? Like the. I mean, that's part of it. Part of the brain, but no. No? Okay. It's the cerebrum, nope. the cerebellum. Cortex. And the brainstem. Yeah, none of them. <laughs> the cerebrum makes up the lion's share of what we think of, like, if you visualize the brain, you know, with all the sure. little squiggles and everything. Um, on the lower kind of back part of the brain is the cerebellum, and then the brainstem is at the bottom, yeah. leading to the spine, connecting to the spinal cord, right? And, of course... Every part of the human brain is incredibly important. Uh, It controls everything from the physical movement of the body, to regulating body temperature, to creating speech, to basic reasoning, to just allowing the throat to swallow. Basically, if you don't have a functioning brain, you don't have a body that can function on its own. Period. Now, of course, we have medical advances to the point where someone who does not have a functioning brain can still be physically alive. And, and be somewhat functional? I mean... <laughs> How so? Can you explain? Well, I mean, it's, it's such a broad topic, but that's, that's what I mean. Like, you're not reacting to anything. That's, yeah, that's true. You're not, you're not talking if you don't have a, <sighs> yeah. a brain that's functioning on some level. Now, there are varying degrees to which the brain can function, right? Mm-hmm. So, I guess that's maybe what I meant. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the head is injured, and again, we're talking closed head injuries, right? Not that the skull has been fractured. But when the head is injured, it basically jars the brain inside the skull, making the brain kind of rebound against the walls of the cranium. Now, of course, the brain's not just like rattling up there dry, no. right? Um uh, and then every time it gets like a tiny jolt, it hit, like bangs against the, the, the skull. The brain is sitting in the skull surrounded by cerebrospinal fluid, which, as the name would suggest, surrounds the brain and the spine. So in instances of very light trauma to the head, the cerebrospinal fluid is sufficient to absorb the impact and mm. and protects the brain, at least from any sort of like lasting or consequential injury. But the stronger and faster the blow to the head or blow by the head into something, the less effective that fluid becomes at cushioning the brain. And it's not just a blow to the head, to be clear. A sudden change in direction of the head from forces to other part of the parts of the body can cause the same issue, whiplash, right? Um, an example of this is being checked in hockey what if you're slammed into the boards now no direct contact is being made with your head right it's somebody is body to body 
shoving you into something. But if your torso is then shoved suddenly in one direction, your head has to kind of come along with it. And that quick change in direction can be sufficient for the head to hit the skull, Mm -hmm. essentially rebound against the skull. Um, And can be sufficient to cause brain trauma. What? Oh, we're going to get even (laughs) farther into this. So that's called indirect impact in a head injury, right? Versus indirect, or sorry, versus direct impact, a direct blow to the head. Not all trauma to the brain is created equal. So just like we have the Saffir-Simpson scale for hurricanes and the Richter scale for earthquakes, we have a scale for brain injury severity. It is called the Glasgow Coma Scale, or the GCS. And as the name would suggest, the scale was created at Harvard. Haha, no, no. That was my joke. Get it? (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that in, Mm -hmm. even when I wasn't on caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was created at the University of Glasgow about 50 years ago, 1974. So, patient. Jeez, that was 50 years ago, wasn't it? It was 50 years ago. (laughs) Yep. So patients are graded on this scale to assess consciousness. So this is really interesting because I had not thought of this before. What, how would you describe being conscious? How would you assess if someone was conscious? Quite a question, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, like uh, what? I I guess, I mean, Mm -hmm. man, but I. What if, if, if somebody like. I guess there's a heightened state of awareness. I yeah, guess. yeah. You're, but if somebody like you saw somebody lying on the ground with their eyes closed, how would you determine if they were conscious? I'd like give them like a quick like slap on the cheek or yeah, touch them. Like kind a, of. You're yeah. looking for a reaction, yeah. right? Because because a conscious person reacts. reacts. You yeah. can be asleep and you're still conscious. Sure. Because if somebody does that to you, you're gonna wake up. Yeah. Right. So, um, to be considered, considered conscious, a person must either be awake or if they're asleep, they can be woken up easily, right? They can be Or even nowadays, easily. like, especially if I saw the person get injured and they're unconscious, mm-hmm. the thing is, like, do not touch them. Well, you gotta be careful all. about, yeah. like, um, certainly, neck injury and stuff. Certainly do not move them. Right. Yeah, you do yeah. have to be very careful about stuff. I, like I that. watched uh, like all the episodes of Jackass, and when one of them would get mm-hmm. like seriously hurt, mm-hmm. you would hear the medic guys in the background being like, "Don't touch them! Don't right, touch them! Right. Don't like get away!" Well, because like, if what, there's that's what we're here for, right? If there's any chance of like an injury to the spine or mm-hmm. something, you can harm but somebody by moving them without mm-hmm. it, it, not in a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so you have to be, to be considered conscious, you have to be either awake or if you're asleep, easily woken up, like you can be disturbed and awoken. You need to be alert, so responsive, able to like take in your surroundings and oriented. So meaning, you know who you are, you know what day of the week it is, who's the president, you know, like that's why they ask those types of questions. Because it's just a basic, you should know, well, for the most part, you should know what year it is. Right. Mm-hmm. What day it is? Like some of us get foggy. Like I work twelve-hour okay. shifts. So right. Sometimes what day it is? I'm like, eh. Oh, but well, yeah, yeah, your name. Like what year is it? Who's the president? Yeah, that's literally um, when my grandpa, who who had Parkinson's dementia, when I went to the neurologist with him, the neurologist was asking him those things. What is your name? 
what year is it and who's the president yeah. like those are like the of course that's in the u.s yeah. <laughs> it'd be okay. different in another and country, where but... where do you live currently like, right where that could be right another now? right like yeah. what city do you live in yeah, yeah. mm-hmm so the GCS evaluates a patient's level of consciousness by assessing their eye response. So like, are your eyes naturally open or, or uh, can stay open? Their motor response, so their ability to move, and their verbal response, their ability to speak and answer questions. Of course, that would look a little different, say, somebody who doesn't speak, somebody who is nonverbal, that sure. would look a little different, but... A patient is scored in each area, and the higher the score, the more conscious the person is considered. So a quote-unquote perfect score, meaning you're fully conscious, um, is 15. So most people are a 15, right? Just on an average day, we're, we're at a Glasgow Coma Scale level 15 right now, basically. <laughs> now, brain trauma is graded on a scale from mild to moderate to severe, a known brain injury with a GCS score of 13 to 15 is considered mild. And you can have a brain injury and still score perfectly on the GCS scale. Um, a 9 to 12 is considered moderate. Anything under 9 is considered severe, like a severe um, brain injury. And because brain injuries are sort of graded on this scale, there's not really a clear delineation between a concussion and a brain injury. A concussion is a brain injury. Sure. Now, that's not to say all brain injuries are concussions. Exactly. Not all but, yeah. Um, and in general, a concussion is considered more on the, quote, mild or moderate side of a brain injury. Although there can be... Concussions have their own sort of severity that they can run on, too. Um, a, a more moderate type of brain injury would generally include a loss of consciousness. Sure. Which sometimes people who get concussions do lose consciousness, so it would be a little more severe. Uh, been there. Yeah. Um, persistent cognitive impairment, or at least for a period of time. Probably, like, the, the scariest thing I heard. Remember when we watched that PBS documentary, like, right when we first started dating, um, about the guy that came across like all these NFL concussions. Dr. Amalu, we'll talk about him later, yeah. But um uh the one guy, it was Troy Aikman's agent. Okay. Talking about visiting him in the hospital while the NFC championship was still going on. He got knocked out of the game. Okay. And concussed. he's Dallas's quarterback yes. back in the day, yeah. And was in a completely dark, like isolated room because he couldn't have right. any any light, light on him. Mm-hmm. And like he kept asking his agent the same thing, like over and over yeah. again, like at five minute like intervals. Right. Like, did we win the game? He'd his like, he'd be like, his head was not. And he would cheer, like he'd be like, "Yeah, you were winning when we." And he was like, "It was over and over again." He That's was like, so "Scary." He was like, "And that scared the hell out of me." Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. like, will this ever stop? And yeah. he wasn't thinking he was going because it hadn't. Like, yeah. and he was asking, and he said he was asking it in such a pattern. Yeah. Like it was just it was like just his doing brain it. was resetting. Yep, over and over again. Like, um, almost like when the, uh, the little hourglass comes on the computer or the pinwheel and you're just right? like, it's just like, does not compute, does not compute. But can you make, can you imagine being hit that fucking hard that that's what it does to your brain? Unfortunately, <laughs> I, mean, I can't serious. because yeah. of all this research. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've never been through something like that, but, but this is incredibly common for certain populations. So yeah. 
Um, something uh, like a severe brain injury t- almost always leads to hospitalization. Rehab usually results in permanent disability of some sure. sort. Like, like we're talking major brain trauma. So a person can, like me, never be on a football field, right? One car accident. Right. One or slip on the something. sidewalk. Yeah. I knew I knew a, a person who um, was lifting weights and the weight bar fell on the oh, back of their head. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Literally changed the course of their life from yeah. then on. Because it, it was a traumatic brain injury. A severe traumatic brain injury. So, And you can end up permanently disabled. One thing. One slip of a weight bar. It's really kind of terrifying. Yeah. Um, and it's sad, but true, and has happened to a scary number of people in a, in multiple settings. But for the purposes of this episode, we're not talking about just like this major brain trauma, one single thing happening. We're talking about CTE, yeah, which is a horse of a which different color. Multiple, yep. many, so, many multiple brain traumas. You got it. So CTE is something that has gotten a lot of attention in recent years, but has been well identified for nearly a century. So in 1927, neuropsychiatrists Michael Osnato and Vincent Gilberti made an association between patients who had sustained mild head injuries and cognitive degeneration, right? So that your cognition, your ability to perceive and and communicate and all that just starts kind of breaking down. They published their findings in the 1927 Journal of the American Medical Association, and soon thereafter... Further description of CTE came from a doctor with three last names for a name. Dr. Harrison Stanford Martland. <laughs> hey. We, there you go. We, we appreciate you. Yeah. Dr. Martland was instrumental in another disaster we covered. He identified that radium was what was killing the oh so-called radium girls. God, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. I remember that episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we didn't write that up. That we did not. I apologize because I can't remember off the top of my head who did, but that we was um, a listener script. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was one yeah. of the most disturbing episodes. That we was ever... a rough one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want, you, want <laughs> you cheery... can listen back. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get cheered. Something up. more more disturbing than what we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. We're gonna get into that. So Dr. Martland was a well-regarded pathologist whose practice in forensic medicine was instrumental in not just identifying the effects of radium on the human body, but for identifying that boxers who became disoriented during a fight had in fact suffered brain injury, something he called being... Any ideas? Punch drunk. Oh, oh, what it was. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, sure. A term he used as the title of his influential 1928 essay. And if you want to hear more about about this, Lee discussed a lot of this history along with his personal experience with CTE in the story of Kim Duk Koo. Mm -hmm. Back in episode 286, I highly recommend you take another listen to that episode for some more context. So, by the mid-1930s... I I, I can't imagine getting... Punched in the head so bad as many times and yeah, mm-hmm. as uh, it's it's unreal. I can't, I can't imagine getting punched <laughs> in the head. Like I, I, I don't have to, you know, I, I've definitely been punched in the head. I would I would say uh, several dozen times at best. That happens to a fighter like in one round, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. Uh, 
and, and I realize it's, it's like inconceivable. Like I, it really is. I also realize I say that from a place of privilege as like a white woman socialized <laughs> oh, as a girl. <laughs> and and to be fair, because we're gonna get into this later, who has not been abused physically abused either? Because that's a yeah, whole other sure. that's a whole other ballgame. So But like in, in terms of <laughs> yeah, like if everybody had experienced CTE in America, like we'd have a serious problem. <laughs> I mean, we've got a serious problem for many reasons, but anyway. By the mid-1930s, others had expanded on this idea of punch drunk, including in 1937, J.A. Millspot in the U.S. Naval Medical Building, who called it Dementia Pugilistica. And this is and Lee talks about that in the episode too. This is also coming out of obviously this is a bit like twenty years later, but this is also coming out of uh, World War One was like the mm-hmm. first mass like psycho- psychological mm-hmm. event where people did all of a sudden like lose their shit. Right. Like mm-hmm. it didn't happen like a couple people. It happened to a couple thousand people. Quote shell shock. And exactly. All that. Mm-hmm. So that's where that's where really like mental illness started to be taken seriously. Well, like it's happening to these guys we've trained to be mm-hmm. soldiers on the battlefield, mm-hmm. and now they're in a mental institution. Well, and it's interesting because it is sort of a fine line and kind of a difficult thing to determine between um, a, a mental disorder due sure. to psychological sure. trauma and a, a, and, a, and a disorder due to physical trauma right. to the brain. It is a because, very fine line. Well, and both were being experienced. Yep. During wartime, because that's a whole other exposure for CT, which we'll talk about, but yeah. Um, in 1936, psychiatrist Edward Carroll wrote an essay, also called Punch Drunk, discussing what he called a, quote, clinical syndrome of frequent occurrence among boxers, end quote. So boxers were really <laughs> yeah, being, I mean, like, fucking... homed in on here. Yeah. It's because nuts. because like, it's a population that is regularly hit in the head, yes. which is there's not many for a living. <laughs> yes, uh huh. And especially back then, that was the biggest population. You know, he noted that some physicians used terms including traumatic dementia and traumatic encephalopathy for the this disorder alongside punch. So yeah, so they're they're on the right path. They're like. Mm-hmm. They're like, it's weaving in this direction, like, th- but they just haven't, yeah. This yeah, is... they're gaining on it, so. Yeah. Um, while the term chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, has proliferated in recent decades, it was well established by the 1950s. Interesting. In 1973, a British neuropathologist named J.A.N. Carcellus autopsied the brains of 15 former boxers who were found to have dementia pugilistica and added the finding or CTE and added the findings to his Corcellus collection now called the Corcellus synapse brain collection, a literally pathological collection of brains. He started in 1951 that has grown to over 8,000 by now. Hmm. So it's this, this brain bank, this collection still um, exists. The purpose being for people to better under for physicians and pathologists to better understand the human brain by observing many of them literally physically right so the cause of cte is mild repetitive head impacts also called rhis over an extended period of time 
In addition to RHIs, these can also be known as mild traumatic brain injuries or MTBIs, not to be confused with MBTI, if you know, you know. Do you know? (laughs) The Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Test, if you're an INFP or an ESTJ, have you ever heard any of that stuff? It's a personality test. That all sounds alien to me. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Is that in Sanskrit? (laughs) Now, I... Someone who didn't go to school after the fifth grade will now try to discuss <laughs> the neuropath- neuropathology of CTE. Okay. We're literally talking brain science. Okay. CTE is a tauopathy. Tauopathies are a group of progressive neurodegenerative disorders that are specifically marked by tubulin associated unit TAU. That's the tau part protein aggregates in the brain. Alzheimer's disease is another well-known telepathy. So if we want to sort of group it, that's another um, uh, disorder. Well, it's a good example of uh, a lot of people know what that is. Exactly. So So tau proteins are, to really oversimplify it, just not good for the brain. They, it's almost akin to cancer, they, these tau proteins like invade neurons, degenerate, like degrade them, and make them make more tau proteins through their DNA. So it's ever growing, right? And that's the degenerative part. It's neurodegenerative. These, pro- these tau proteins are like taking over parts of the brain physically, sure. literally physically, like the, the neurons in there. Um, And these tau proteins, they're bad news. And the medical field is still working very hard to figure out how to stop it. Hey, I worked on stuff once that slowed it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a lot of work is being done in this field. So they are discovering a lot of promising things. But what this buildup of tau proteins mean in the case of CTE is several stages of progressive symptoms. In stage one, so the beginnings of CTE, symptoms include headaches, loss of attention and focus, concentration, short-term memory issues, depression, which is a a big hallmark of CTE, aggressive tendencies, and executive function impairment. Those are all big hallmarks, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What people think of when they think of CTE, I think nowadays. Mm Mm-hmm. In stage two, all of those things, you know, start to increase in severity, plus some additional symptoms may occur, like increased impulsivity, suicidal thoughts, sure. and language impairments. Stage three, you know, all that keeps increasing, plus there may also be visual-spatial difficulties. And at this, by this phase, by stage three, most individuals are considered cognitively impaired. Sure. And then by stage four, the disease progresses usually to the point of full-blown dementia. Um, And this can take on the additional symptoms of paranoia and motor difficulties like difficulty walking. The symptoms of CTE can take years to develop. Mm. So someone may have taken a bunch of hits to the head, but those tau proteins are still just kind of building up over time, slowly taking over may or may not be what ends up killing the person. Just depends, right? If someone with a history of RHIs or MTBIs, so hits to the head, uh, mild traumatic brain injuries, 
starts displaying those progressive symptoms, it might be suspected that they have CTE, right? But there is not presently a definitive diagnosis in those experiencing CTE while they are alive. Hmm. The only definitive diagnosis of CTE is a direct examination of the brain, and by that I mean cutting it. So, an autopsy. Yeah. But before that, you're just showing symptoms that are... Right, and the problem with it is a lot of those symptoms can be similar to other neurodegenerative disorders, including right. Alzheimer's, including yeah. other um, things that are causing that those dementia-type symptoms, um, or even mental illnesses. Yeah. So it's not... Unless you can see the brain, you can't see that this damage has been done to it. Not definitively. Right. You can suspect it. You know, like... If, and we'll get into football players specifically, but say someone was a football player for 10 years and 10 years later they start getting overly aggressive, having headaches, starting to have impairments or whatever, there's a decent, it's a good guess that they may be developing CTE. We're going to start there. (laughs) But you know what? They also could be, they also could be developing another neurodegenerative disease. So it's, it's not a guarantee. The brain is a complicated thing. It very much to is. To say the least. And there's not even a brain scan they can do to see if, if this is what's going on. So, those, at least now, maybe they'll come up with something in the future. Who knows? So, those most at risk of developing CTE are those who sustain repeated mm-hmm. minor or mild traumatic brain injuries or repetitive uh, head injuries, head impacts. Because most people don't hit their head or have their head hit on a regular basis, it does kind of narrow down the population most at risk. The most obvious population... Who is this happening to? Right. The most obvious population and the popular population that popularized this idea in the first place is boxers, right? Sure. Fighters. But anyone who sustains repeated hits to the head or jolts to the body resulting in whiplash are at risk. So it, it reminds me, like, one of the first MMA fights I ever watched mm-hmm. was from that, there was that reality show in the mid-2000s, I can't, I think it was an MTV show. Mm-hmm. But these two guys, they were going at it for, like, a contract, like a one-year contract. Oh, these, that, like, making the, like, making some, the band, but it was a fighting thing. Something like, yes. Didn't Rogan host it? Didn't he host, I, like, some fight or show? He might have. I don't remember I him on it specifically, but I watched like mistaken. a couple episodes of it. But anyway, these two guys like beat the absolute fuck yeah. out of each other uh-huh. for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And looking back on it now, like I'll have to pull it up at some point, to uh-huh. see if I can find it. Like their post fight interview for both of them, they both had like severe fucking brain damage. Oh my God. Like you can just like yeah. looking back on it now, it's like both of them could barely speak yeah. because they were all just fucking fucked up but they're still just had so much adrenaline going too mm-hmm. but oh my god it's mm-hmm. <laughs> but back then it was like oh he got his bell rung right yeah exactly literally just did not know mm-hmm. well 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 did not know to apply it to it wasn't popularized mm-hmm. basically and i don't think a lot of people really understood the severity of it you gotta take some uh, concussions if you want to play in the nfl well and that's that leads to a whole other line of ethical questioning, which we'll also get to. All right. So, of course, football is what immediately comes to mind for most of us for a specific reason that we will get to. But I do want to um, 
cover some other populations. So there are other sports other than football that involve repeated hits to the head. Along with boxing, other combat sports, kickboxing, mixed martial arts, you know, the wrestling. Football. Yes. Well, that so other uh, risky sports include wrestling, hockey, rugby, and soccer, or like you said, association football. Soccer isn't a quote contact sport per se. No. There's a lot of There's contact, contact going, going on. For a Lots of falling. <laughs> You're hitting that ball with their head. That yeah. can call an, cause an MBTI. And how many people have run head to head in each other? Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. That's like that's very traumatic. So that's a whole other thing. So beyond sports, those who are or were in the military and exposed to explosive sure. blasts oh, may yeah. also have MTBI Concussion blasts and mm-hmm. like things like that. And, yeah. Or just sustain head injuries in combat, you know. Yeah. Other vulnerable populations that are much less researched and discussed include domestic abuse survivors. Mm, there, sure. there are instances and studies of uh, the one particular one I, I saw, I didn't put the details in here but i think it was a 76 year old woman who had been repeatedly beaten by her partner um and showed signs of cte um and there are also um there are also people who due to either developmental or mental disorders may actually hit their own head either with their hands or like against a wall or something and that's the same idea you know So while sports, and especially pro sports, get a lot of attention when it comes to CTE, it is important that we not forget that there are other people at risk for developing CTE, too. And anyone who has a history of RHIs or MTBIs is potentially vulnerable to this disease, and medical research should keep that in mind, too, Mm -hmm. and policy decisions as well. So, of course... After the turn of the 21st century, public awareness of CTE skyrocketed, thanks in particular to Dr. Bennett Ifeakandu Omalu. So in 2002, Dr. Omalu was working as a forensic neuropathologist at the Allegheny County Coroner's Office in what football city do you figure Allegheny County is? That would be one Pittsburgh. You got it. I could even tell you who we worked on the first time. Who was it? Um, of course, Mike, Mike Webster. <laughs> Iron Mike a, Webster. He was a center. He was for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I had his, uh, I had his rookie card when I collected cards. Okay. He was also, he also played on the current Super Bowl contenders, Kansas City Chiefs for a bit too. Did he really? Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember that at all. Yep. Huh. Do you know what he died of? <sighs> Man. A lot of things, but I <laughs> right, mean, I know but, what you mean. but, uh, but physically, mm-hmm. I think he, uh, he had like a hemorrhage, didn't he? Heart attack. Oh, okay. He died of a heart attack. Yeah. You know how old he was? He was like 48. 50. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was just 50. Was Obviously very that's very young to be dying of a yes. heart attack. Now, Dr. Amali was doing the autopsy, right? And first thing he noticed is like, this guy doesn't look like he's 50. No, this guy he got thought really he was, beat up. He mm-hmm. thought he was like 75 yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which that's, imagine mistaking somebody 50 who's year 50 years old for somebody who's 75. Right. There's a huge difference in those ages and yeah. how you would traditionally look. Mm-hmm. As a corpse anyway. He and played for like 16 years. He played so a long time. Yeah. In like a very... In like probably about period. in probably about the most brutal era because yeah. 
It was like 74 to 90 or something like yeah, that. Yes, so he played right? from the 70s to like 1990 or 91, I mm-hmm. believe. But he's playing in that era where, yeah, football was brutal in 1940s too, but guys were smaller. Yeah. He was playing in the era where guys were starting to get bigger mm-hmm. and stronger and faster all at the same time. And he time. was not the biggest center in the no. world either. He was actually relatively small for his position. Yeah. So Led with He's a big guy, but still. Led with his head a lot. Exactly. As most centers did. Now, Which is why you have a long snapper. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Dr. Amalu first considered whether maybe Mike... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I skipped a sentence. So Dr. Amalu had also heard the stories about Mike's behavior. Because there... Sure. Uh, if you ever want... Oh, I, I skipped so much. Okay, here we go. He died of a heart attack. He had been exhibiting increasingly erratic and confused behavior for years. There's interviews of years him. Years and years. Just uh-huh. going, like, starting to talk about a topic and... Just wandering. Yeah. Yeah. Just like what we do, but we don't have... <laughs> <laughs> we just get distracted. Yes. We're not, we're not or, or brain do, damage that we know of. Or do we? Mm-hmm. No, but seriously, like, there are interviews with him that's uncomfortable to watch because yeah. he starts out talking one thing and not even five seconds later is and and the interview is just trying to be nice and be like right. just, yeah, let him go yeah we'll edit this out yeah <laughs> you know but yeah you can look up the details of its story his story it's really sad it, it's really sad it also really broke down his marriage because of just yeah, yeah. the inability to cope he um his, his wife found out like they're like they were basically going bankrupt because he was not yeah. keeping their finances because he couldn't, you know, like he couldn't function. mentally function that yeah, way. He was done. By the time he retired, yeah. which would have been around the time he was probably about 40. He played a long time. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was, yeah, he was kind of, he was just done. Yeah. And his, his wife, even though they lived apart for years, she actually only officially divorced him, like, the year before he died. Yeah, because it's... His kid moved in with him to try and help take care of him. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Amalu had heard those stories, right? He's like, this sure sounds like he, maybe he was punch drunk, right? Like, maybe he had dementia pugilistica, and he's a neuropathologist, so he's he's very interested in the brain. Which I can't imagine the amount of schooling you have to go through to be... <laughs> this man is very smart. This man is very well educated, very You're smart. You're never not in school right. if you're this guy, really. Mm-hmm. He, this guy's literally a brain scientist. Like, he, he knows what he's doing. So, uh, he, you know, looked at Mike's brain during the autopsy. It looked fine. And the thing is, in dementia pugilistica, you usually see, like, contusions. Like, literal contusions to the surface of the brain. Which is what, what he was thinking. What do they call thinking. it? Uh, fixing the brain? Is that what they call it? Fixing the brain? When he's doing the, like, autopsy on the brain. Oh, itself. I don't know if there's a particular... I don't know of a particular uh, term for oh, okay. that. okay. No, I don't know. I've never heard that. Um, but... Yeah, just looking, I'm pretending like I'm holding a brain, just looking at it, you know, um, he was like, this actually doesn't look like dementia pugilistica, but he was acting like it was dementia pugilistica. This doesn't seem right. So he, he was like, he was kind of bold. He, he was like, I want to do some more digging here, but that's going to involve like cutting into this brain which is not standard procedure. He had to okay it with his boss, who fortunately let him do it. And he had to get approval from 
the Webster family. Sure, that and, makes and sense. They, and they let him. Yeah. So fortunately, they gave they him... they probably wanted to know just as much as he did. Right. Like, so fortunately, they gave him the go-ahead. So he was, like, now dissecting into Mike's brain, like, tiny, thin, thin, thin slices to put on a microscope, you know... And he also kind of, like, felt his way through, how can I see what might be wrong with his brain? He added stains, you know, to, to show certain cells and stuff. And he finally, after doing, you know, some cuts, certain cuts and, and um, stains, he's like, okay, here are some weird spots, these weird dark spots on this tissue. He's like, that's not normal, not at all normal to see. So he did some digging in, like, old medical journals. Like, apparently this was a little bit of an obsession for him. He's like, I'm going to find out what happened to this guy. He dug out some old medical journals, and guess what he found? Some Corcellus collection pictures of those 15 boxers. Mm. And was able to connect the dots and say, this guy has had. What might seem surprising in retrospect is that up until the point Dr. Amalu diagnosed Mike Webster with CTE, CTE had not been diagnosed in football players. Period. This was the first yeah. time somebody found that. We're not talking like 60 years ago. They were talking 20 years, of, yeah. years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was yep. the first absolutely. time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It wasn't the, that long ago. Right. Here's the interesting thing, though, if you think about it. So to... Um, properly diagnosed CTE, like definitively, it requires a brain autopsy, right? Yes. Can you take a guess how many pe- of all deaths, how many people are just autopsied? Any guesses? Percentage? Five percent? Yeah, less than five percent. Oh, uh, really? Okay. I, just, yeah. I was going to say like... It's that low as of 2019 yeah. statistics. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of people die. A lot of people die. a certain amount of coroners. It's a lot of work. And, and you know what? There's actually like a... And it costs a lot of money, it, too. It does. It, there's also a, um, a shortage of um, coroners and people well, who... Well, I mean, it's a super high... Pathologists. I mean, high-skilled position. I mean, High really. skill. It takes a lot of metho- method... Methodology... <laughs> You have to be methodical about it. It's it's slow. It's plus I know working in manufacturing, like the the cost of the equipment alone that they're working with. How would you know that working in manufacturing? Because th- this is all specialized equipment that they're oh, using. Oh, I gotcha. That's, that's made. That's I don't, like, I don't I don't do brain. Think they use the I don't same do equipment. brain functions. No, I don't. But it's coming from it's. It's just not it's machinery. Not, it's not yeah. like you go to the store and get a brain machine. Right. <laughs> like you just don't. It, right. This is all highly specialized shit. Mm-hmm. So it takes time and money. Yeah. And in general, they're not going to do an autopsy. The amount of training. Think of the yes. Uh huh. Tens of thousands of hours mm-hmm. you would need mm-hmm. just to know just to know that this guy was like, you know what? I think I need to cut this brain apart. Right. To mm-hmm. figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Takes thousands of hours of training just to get to that yeah and if uh another reason that not a lot of autopsies are done is that when the cause of death is relatively apparent it's generally seen as unnecessary right like an old person dies of natural causes in an old folks home it's it's just like yeah yeah. and and plus there are also 
um, potentially religious or ethical objections from the family. They don't want their or unless their it was religious or unless it was something we just sometimes. experienced a couple years ago, or it was a, a pandemic. A like, mass, like we a need mass, to, we need to know a mass casualty event. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that can just make it make an autopsy that can make it kind of automatic. Well, yeah. well, or the other way around that that are barriers to autopsies. Sure, there's well, yeah. there's a lot of things that can that can stop there from being an autopsy except for specific functions of law there are times when it requires familial consent and sometimes the families don't consent right like what if mike webster's family was like no you're not cutting up his that's brain that's true you know which yeah. like i said some people may have religious objections mm-hmm. to like because some people have genuine spiritual or beliefs just, or, that, or just like what are you doing to my dad right like, yeah like why or what's the point yeah, yeah. why are, are you experimenting what do you do yeah. like yeah there's a there's a lot of stuff so but thankfully they were like hey we want to know too but basically this was kind of like a a unicornish event sure. that it even happened because not only was Mike autopsied in the first place, which considering he died of a heart attack, probably my guess is he was autopsied. I couldn't really find definitively why, but because he was so young I'm to also, have died suddenly. I'm also going to guess it had something to do with his pension too. Mm. Could be. Yeah. Cause whether there were survivor benefits, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, that's true. Because he, he'd played in the league long enough, so he was he was definitely getting a pension. He was getting disability, actually, yeah. which we'll so, talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, but, so, if he hadn't been autopsied, hadn't been a football player, um, if <laughs> yeah, doctor... Yeah, if he'd just been some guy. If doctor... Yeah. Oh, shit. All right, I just freaked myself out over the on my own recording, but I think we're okay. I think we'll be okay with all that. If not, we'll go back and re-record it. But, picking up... Um, if Dr. Amalu just didn't know who Mike was and hadn't heard of his erratic behavior, sure, or his behavior changes, um, and he if might he not have become interested in finding out. He wasn't out a or... brain guy. He was yeah. a brain guy, you know. And then he looked at Mike's brain again. I'm holding the brain, and and it didn't initially fit with what he thought. And he could have just been like, "Oh, I must have been wrong," and moved on. But he decided to to dig. So. This is pretty. This is pretty unique event, and a lot is owed to Doctor Amalu for being like, "Hey." Plus, he also happens to find himself in the one <laughs> right? in the one state in the Northeast uh-huh. where everybody plays football. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody plays football mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Like you can't really say that about mm-hmm. New York or Connecticut or or you can say that about Ohio. Those two places. Okay. You can also say about like Florida and Texas, Oklahoma. Oh, Texas. But he's. Sure. But he's in one of the few places where, on mm-hmm. every level, right, mm-hmm. there's football going on all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yep. he he just happened to find himself in what he didn't know at the time was like fucking CTE paradise. Right, right. Like mm-hmm. everybody's got it around here. Yeah, right. Um, so Doctor Amalu published his findings on Mike's brain in a paper entitled. They're obviously very descriptive and not necessarily creatively named, which is fine. It was called Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy in a National Football League Player. What I do like about that is that he put National Football League in his title mm-hmm. because that's like motherfuckers. <laughs> and that got a hold of the, and then the next phone call he got was from a bunch of NFL lawyers. Well, let's talk about I'm only yeah. going to really briefly touch on what the response to Dr. Omalu's finding was. Since it has been covered a lot, but basically 
Dr. Amali was like, hey, the NFL is really going to want to know that they're basically slowly killing (laughs) (laughs) but maybe all of their players. Um, But long story short, the NFL was not at all concerned that they were slowly killing all of their players. The league basically launched a smear campaign against Dr. Amalu, a highly competent and accomplished neuropathologist. They called his findings, quote, purely speculative. (laughs) And to further illustrate, like, just the callousness and, like, literally does not give a shitness of the C-suite of the NFL and, the like, the individual teams, Pittsburgh Steelers owner Dan Rooney... Of the Roonies, as in Mara Rooney, the actor and every... every, Who's the other one? There's Mara and... Rooney Mara. Rooney Rooney Mara. Mara. And Kate Mara. Mara. Yes. And their their other grandparents over near Giants. Oh, the Giants. That's right. Anyway, (laughs) this is their fucking family member. This is crazy. But anyway, he said... He was quoted while discussing granting Mike Mike Webster disability pay, right? Because he did get disability pay. He said, quote, everybody gets hurt in football, but very few players get hurt permanently, end quote. I mean, even at that time, that wasn't true. It's bullshit (laughs) is what it is. Now, on the grand scale of things, did people come out of the NFL like Mike Webster or like other people who are paralyzed and stuff like that, which happened? No. Statistically, no. We're talking like five, but... Almost all of them come out of there broken the fuck down. Exactly. But it was enough people. And you have enough, you have just enough Joe Schmoes out there that mm-hmm. maybe they played four or five seasons and you never heard of the guy. And now he can't walk up the stairs. Well, here's the you other know? thing. Like... This was, this was thankfully a known person. Right. Yeah. But the other thing is like, okay... Tom Brady, right? He he took care of, he had all the money in the world and always did take care of himself very well, right? Because mm-hmm. he had the resources, he did it, He's he was very dedicated. For that. Right. Known he, for that. he dedicated yeah. his life to it. If Tom Brady now at age, what is he, 45, 44? He'd be 46. He's 46, just, okay. Just, just a little bit younger than okay. me. Okay. <laughs> so if 46-year-old Tom Brady in the position he's in now had been 46-year-old Tom Brady who never played football. Who would be in better shape? The answer is probably 46-year-old Tom Brady, who never played football. He will still have lasting impacts regardless of how well he took care of himself. Football fucked him up no matter what. Even if, yeah, even I mean, if, like you say, that he was just as obsessive about his personal health, right? It's not close, though. I mean, it, it really isn't. Because the amount of shit that you need to go through therapeutically to play in the NFL, mm-hmm. especially for as long as he did, mm-hmm. like... A human body's probably just not meant for that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. really. And he's still more broken down than he would have been if he hadn't played. If he'd just been some just guy. Just period. Just yeah. period. So, anyway, also... Hey, if he'd been uh, Tom Brady uh, LLC. Right. In- insurance from State Farm. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Which we wish he'd had been. <laughs> also really shitty of Dan Rooney, who I'm calling out as being an asshole, um, is that... The te- so the team had granted Mike disability pay before his death, but uh, Dan Rooney acted like it was some sort of kindness to him because he literally said that he didn't really rise to eligibility standards. And if you ever want, like I said, want to read up on Mike Webster's story, he 1000% 
was disabled. Oh, for sure. So for this yeah. asshole to be like, eh, yeah. we did him, we threw him a bone, we did him a kindness, fuck you. Fuck you, Dan Rooney. I said it. He's never going to listen. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Well, if we get a cease and desist letter, I guess we'll I guess we'll know. Can you imagine if we got a cease and desist letter from the Pittsburgh Steelers? That's what shuts our podcast down, I mean, is the Pittsburgh so, Steelers. Some of, those fucking, some of those teams are that fucking petty. I mean, they are. You know what? I mean, I, Fine. Yeah. Do it. Fucking dare you, you dipshit. They're not going to. But no, of course they're not going to. And then I take this and I'm like... It'd be a great story. Because like, how did the Pittsburgh Steelers find out about us? <laughs> right. <laughs> or care. Yeah, or care. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the NFL didn't keep their smear campaign isolated to Dr. Amalu. No. These attempts extended to doctors like Dr. Anne McKee, who also did important work in finding CTE in the brains of former NFL players. And it wasn't until enough attention was paid to the issue... Through the media, through public perception. Which, even that, I mean, the NFL had a, a lock on that, too. Yeah. I mean, that, that was an easy, an, an easy go around by any means. Right. But eventually, like, basically the media and the American public came around to the idea that this was not speculative in any no. way, shape, or form. This was happening. The NFL finally changed their tune only because of that. And you can fucking bet if it was going to be less expensive to them to oh, yeah, they it, would have certainly they'd be gotten, denying yes. it to this day. Yeah, they certainly would have gotten so, it around. No, there were, they lost enough lawsuits by the, by this point, and it was just right. like, you know what? Yeah. yeah uh-huh. And there were a lot of lawsuits, too. Yeah. So they eventually created a new research entity within the NFL to research CTE, whatever. I go with independent sources as opposed to them. And they donated millions of dollars, which, by the way, they have billions. So this is like a oh, chunk yeah. change to them to the National Institutes of Health for further research. Now, in case it isn't clear enough, I want to put it more succinctly. The National Football League, including its current commissioner, Roger Fuckwit Goodell, (laughs) set about a deliberate campaign against doctors who showed that the sport of football was potentially incredibly dangerous to the NFL's labor force, meaning its players, right? The only reason they even pretended to care, and that's all they're doing is pretending to care. They don't. They're pretending to care. Was to save face because you cannot properly run a capitalistic enterprise that profits in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars annually off the dangerous labor of hundreds of men, the majority of whom are black, when people know you are slowly killing them and that you don't give a shit about it. So. Yeah. And it's not overstating the facts of the matter to say that football is slowly killing these players. There's an independent medical research lab called the Boston University CTE Center and Brain Bank, also called the Unite Brain Bank, that specifically studies CTE. Dr. McKee is one of the directors of the program. Many football players and their families have donated their the player's brain mm-hmm. to the center so they can use it to further their research. In 2017, the center, along with, uh, they were working with Stanford University, they conducted a study of 202 brains of football players from all levels of play, from high school, college, um, and pro players, and semi-pro, NFL, also Canadian Football League, each of whom did have a history of some sort of neurological symptoms during their lives. Not necessarily what killed them, right? But but they They, had symptoms. They had signs of, Yeah. yeah. Like, they had mood changes, behavior problems, cognitive challenges, things like that. 
202 brains they looked at, 177 of them, 87% had CTE. Yep. 111 of those 202 brains were NFL players, former NFL players. Of the 111 brains, how many do you think had CTE? Of the NFL players? Mm-hmm. Ugh, fuck, probably 100 of them. 110. Yeah, well, All about but one. one. That's over 99%. It's basically was, guaranteed. It was, it was probably like the kicker. <laughs> right. <laughs> Somebody, th- like the NFL, like, no, we've got we've to smuggle in like a kicker brain. Right. To, to, throw, to throw it off. The study also showed that there was a likelihood that the longer you play, the higher oh, your risk. Oh, fucking sure. So Absolutely. of the high schooler brains that they dissected, 21% had CTE, which that's already bad, yeah. by the way. Yeah. For college, it jumped to 91%. And then by the NFL, it's basically guaranteed. Now, those were people who showed symptoms. And those are also clear, people who had but... head injuries. That That's not... Nope. The, the, well, yes, because yeah. all football players have in, head injuries, but... They didn't go based off of, you must have had a head injury. It was only cognitive oh, okay. oh, symptoms. True. So. Yeah. Um, the center was has also published a study showing the odds of developing CTE when playing American football double every 2.6 years of playing That's sport. That's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. So you're at two times risk every two and a half years. You're, you're at double the yeah. previous risk, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. In 2017... Former New England's Patriots tight end, Aaron Hernandez, killed himself while in jail. By the way, we're going to talk suicide for a little bit, so trigger warning there. Um, He was 27 years old. He had a lot of problems, not the least of which was that he was in jail because he was convicted of first-degree murder. His brain was donated to the brain bank and showed not just CTE, but like advanced CTE and that was the first time they saw such advanced CTE in such a young person. Hmm. So it was like, ooh, this can develop a lot faster than we thought, potentially. Unfortunately, Aaron Hernandez is not the only former NFL player to take his own life and be diagnosed with CTE after a brain autopsy. Others include Greg Clark, a former San Francisco 49ers, the other Super Bowl contender this year. Tight end, who died in 2021 at age 49 by suicide. Philip Adams, a cornerback who played with multiple teams, including the 49ers, uh, who killed four adults and two children in 2021 before killing himself the next day. He was 32 years old. He was a... Jeez, I don't remember that one at all. Well, so it happened in like April 2021. It was in the middle of a lot of COVID stuff. So there was a lot going on, but I, I ever so briefly remember it but basically he went and shot a bunch of people and then killed himself adams was only 32 years old when all that happened so there are signs that it sometimes happens to younger people there's also famously junior seau junior seau he's the first person i ever heard of um a former nfl linebacker primarily with the san diego chargers he shot himself in the chest at 2012 in 2012 at the age of 43 and the year before Seau's suicide, Dave Dewerson, a former safety, mostly with the Chicago Bears, also shot himself in the chest at age 50. He deliberately shot, he made sure it was in his chest and mm. not in his head because he texted his family before he died requesting that they donate his brain to the brain bank. So he knew, like, somewhere to in his brain, his brain. Mm-hmm, he's like, I'm really fucked up. 
it's not enough that I can, I, I'm not so self-aware that I can stop myself. Like some shit is going on that I can't stop myself from killing myself, but I can at least ask them to see if this is what happened, which yeah. is, which is a really sad thing, but uh, they did, do- they did honor his wishes and he was diagnosed with CT postmortem. And all of these men are just a few of the, there's o- there's over 345 former NFL players who have been diagnosed with CTE postmortem. Hmm. Now, that's only if they consented to be autopsied, right? Yeah. Or if they're families. Um, <laughs> one such person, famous old-timey player, Frank Gifford. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah they, they looked at his brain. Sure enough, he had CTE. <laughs> there's literally a very famous video of Frank Gifford literally getting slammed on... His head getting slammed into the ground, like with a forearm. I I'm sure that was part of what made him develop CTE. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, I could rant for a very very long time about the problems I have with the NFL. <laughs> they are legion, um, especially as an organization. Capitalism as a system, whatever. But I'm going to focus on one specific thing here, and I'm. It's not in an attempt to ruin anyone's enjoyment of sports, but I think just to like articulate it myself. I used to be a fan of football. You know that we mm-hmm. used to watch together. I'm not anymore. Part of it, and it's a big part of it. I'm not going to lie, is the capitalism part and the league's well documented racial inequalities and corresponding soulless pandering especially like the shit that they did after the blm movement of 2020 like oh now we like colin kaepernick it's like fuck you (laughs) when it became popular is when they decided to they're they're such they're soulless anyway I'm, i'm gonna keep going but increasingly I struggle to find enjoyment watching a sport that includes witnessing in every single game someone, and likely many people, sustaining yet another blow to the head that is added on top of all the previous and future blows to their head that may lead to their suffering and eventual death. Every time you see someone fall hard, every time you see someone take head contact, doesn't matter if they have to go out for a concussion protocol, that may be part of what kills them. Like, that, that's how real that is. I don't find that entertaining. And look, I don't want to pretend that I'm somehow superior in not finding that entertaining because I do watch The Real Housewives. And trust me, <laughs> I am fully aware that the participants in that show, which I do find highly entertaining, are being mentally injured through their participation. You see that Just suffering, too. Just in a different sort too. of way. You see that suffering, too. And I guess that's part of what... No, nobody's physically punching them well, in the head. Just well, verbal, just verbal. Mm, well, that's true. Not gonna, not gonna <laughs> that's true. That out. That's, that's happened once happened or twice. That's happened as well. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of what I want to say, too. I get that it's complicated that to live in a modern world and try to be ethical to any degree is also to be a hypocrite to some degree. But this is just... Watching the NFL, is actually football in general, is just not something I'm comfortable with. And my autistic brain gets pretty firmly set once it gets uncomfortable with something. It's also why I'm a vegan. I got uncomfortable with the idea of being, eating animal products. 14 years later, I'm not, I'm not moving on from that idea. You know, I'm still uncomfortable with it. So now every single one of us has to decide like where that line is for us. What are we sure. okay with? What are we not? We're going to be hypocrites one way or the other, but we have to decide in what areas or not. 
And that, and that's in thousands of different life situations. It's hard. It's hard being a human. It's hard trying to be an ethical human. That's just what life is. I get that. And I get that it gets even more complicated for those who have to make that decision for others, like for parents who have to decide whether to let their kid play a sport that might be potentially dangerous. But what I do hope, no matter what everyone decides individually, is that as a society, we will at least try to move toward a mutual goal of harm reduction wherever we can. And if that means turning the NFL into the NFFL, the hmm. National Flag Football League, hell, you know what? That actually sounds pretty fun to me. And that, my friends, was the story of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. Well, speaking of the National Flag Football League, mm-hmm. flag football is becoming an Olympic sport in 2028. Nice. And guess who's already behind it? The NFL? Mm-hmm. Well, of course. They already have a flag football initiative. And, of course. Yeah. Well, for- I, like, like I, I attended to um, all like the uh, smoking cessation stuff, and uh, guess who makes all that? The tobacco companies, yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So they can make money on both ends. And like, if, like, like if public opinion turns to it, they'll follow it. 100%. Of course. Because all Ro- Roger, Roger Goodell, his primary purpose is to money. make money. Money. And guess that's what? The, the NFL, especially since he took over, makes a fuck ton of money. Mm-hmm. And that's... And that's know, how you know how corrupt he is. Yeah. And how soulless he is. Is yeah. because... The, oh, profits went up. Oh, that me- means somebody horrific is at the helm, and and they and they reward those people. <laughs> they, yeah. Well, yes, well, self selects handsomely for, for for horrible people, which is that's the whole capitalism side of things. Yeah, but, he is he is the uh, highest paid commissioner in the the five major sports. So. He, he's such an asshole. But anyway, <laughs> but I hope what that did do is kind of like explain why. I, I don't like watch watching. I was kind of, you know, it was the first time I kind of articulated it for myself, but also sure. for you too, because it is something we used to do together. Mm-hmm. And it does suck to stop doing something, you know, when one of us is still interested, one of us isn't. And and I that that, that does suck, but um, but it's because like once you know this stuff, no, I mean, at least you were, for you were, me, you were just done. And that I mean, the way I looked at it was the way I look at it now is like. Or at least this generation coming up, at least they know. I mean, and that is a big thing. Like, look, I'm not... And Lee talked about this, too, in his um, Kim Daku script. The idea of, like, knowledge but consent still, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, if a player... At least now you're right. Now they know, Mm -hmm. which is great. And they can now decide and consent. Sure. There's a lot of... There's still a lot of complications to that because it's like... If football is your only way out of a bad financial situation, how much are you really consenting? But th- the world is a complicated place and there will always be complications like that. So you're right that just even the knowledge to even have a chance to consent mm-hmm. is an improvement. And there, are, and we've seen the ripple effect of that. There have been plenty of young players that they've had their mm-hmm. third or fourth season. They're like, you know what? I made a million dollars. Like, I'm good. Like I, I, I just, you know. There's been a couple, who was the one, it may, it may not have been that notable, but I sure remember it, who was doing pretty great and then just like, I'm done. Cut out. There have been a couple guys, like, well, Andrew Luck is probably one of them. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, he was, but he was, he was making quarterback money, so he was yeah, good, good. Sure. But you know what? But there have been plenty of guys that were like, you know, third or fourth year linebackers. You know, they made their 
minimum mm-hmm. base salary. Right. And after three years, they're like, you know what? I'm on like six different pain medications. Right. And I want to do something else. Mm-hmm. I want to coach football or, yes. you know, and I can't it's play all, it anymore. It is all completely intertwined with issues of problems with capitalism and Every and once you're talking capitalism, you are talking racism. But the NFL is really bad in terms of racial inequality. That's why there's like 50, 50 plus over 50 percent of players are black, and like there's a black coach or two black coaches, you know, and nobody's a black owner because because of this the racial disparities in how high you can get in the league basically is, is definitely still dictated by white supremacy. Um, so well, those it's, are it's, all, it's a form. It's a, I say former, it's a former good old boys network. Whereas it, it's, not, it's still a good old boys network, n- but not, 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 not even, to the, yeah, not I, even close. I get it. I get yeah. what you're saying. It's better, but that doesn't mean it's good. No. Mm. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's not what it used to be, which is great. I mean, they also don't, Still play with leather helmets, you know. Yes, there are improvements. It doesn't mean it's good. But they There's still but they, a long way to go. But it, it was interesting. They came out with their flag football initiative commercial mm-hmm. the other day, and I was like, "Yeah, they're gonna go all in on this because they want people to not notice." And I think ultimately, mm-hmm. maybe they might be doing the smartest thing, being like, "You have a choice. You can play the flag football if you want to." Right. Or you can play the full contact football. We're not forcing you into one one or the other. Like it's it's you know it's up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Having having played full contact football, it's not that much fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I can't imagine playing on the fucking NFL level. That's mm-hmm. nuts. Like mm-hmm. I can't I can't imagine what those guys physically have to go through. Right. You know, I just played in high school for two years. Mm-hmm. And that and it wasn't that bad because I didn't play that much. <laughs> but I mean, I saw guys and I took hits myself where it's just like, like the hardest I've ever been hit in my fucking like the worst like pain I've ever felt in my entire life mm-hmm. was during a football practice, yeah. like by far, like and it was just like, like you experience types of pain playing that sport, mm-hmm. playing hockey, wrestling, mm-hmm. that that you're just you're not gonna experience like in any walk of life. You're just not. Well, and you know, this- nobody's going to experience what it feels like to like man mm-hmm. up against somebody going, you're both going 20 miles an hour right. and somebody loses. <laughs> like, like, you well, know. and not to get super morbid, but there's a chance you could develop CTE. You've taken yeah, multiple. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I doubt it, but yeah, <clears throat> I, I sure hope not. And yeah. it was when you were much younger, mm-hmm. hopefully. And the longer you play is correlated with a higher yeah, risk. I was, of that. I was done playing done. organized sports when I was, out of high school that's great but i will say that if you start showing neurological stuff and i ever get the chance to have your brain autopsies that autopsied 100 percent well just have an autopsy just for the fuck of it (laughs) just for fun yeah like i'm kind of curious myself even though i'll be dead (laughs) right you won't be able to know well you know i want to go to the body farm but i'm happy being autopsy too if you want to cut me up that's fine too there we go that's a good way to end the, end the episode, probably. <laughs> so, um, yeah, have fun with watching the Super Bowl, everybody. I will be not partaking, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just not into it this year. Just it has nothing to do with CTE. It's just, <laughs> I'm just sick of the two fucking teams that are in it this year. But whatever, and my team will never be in it again. Nope. I mean, yeah, so it's whatever. probably a good time yeah. to give up. Yeah. Anyway. Right. No. <laughs> So, that was Chronic Traumatic 
encephalopathy. This has been another episode, or CTE. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. Or I'm David. ABT. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.